I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in the studio, as always, with my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hey, Matt. I know no one can actually see us, but I just want to let everyone know that we did unintentionally come into the studio today wearing almost the same exact pink, which is kind of like a weird pink, so it's pretty amazing that we both put this on today and came to the studio. First of all, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Second of all, I'm still, the tags are still on this piece of clothing, so I will be returning it now. No, I always immediately remove the tags and I tried returning pants the other day because I always like, I know my pant size, so I never try them on, but I bought the wrong size unbeknownst to myself. Mm-hmm. So I tried to return them for the right size and I was like, the tags are off. And the cashier lady was like, why? And I was like, because I took them off before trying them on. And she was like, you know, that makes no sense, right? <laughs> That's what she actually said to me. I was like, okay, I'm, clearly I'm here because I've done something wrong. I don't need you to tell me that. I know I fucked up. I love to be shamed. So now that I'm mad at her and you, we can kick off today's episode. Obviously, we're going to start, as always, with Worst Things First, where I shout about the worst news of the week. After that, we're diving deep into technology. Because Alexa is a little bitch who thinks she runs my life, but I'm the human. I'm in control. Even though I know she'll listen to this episode and probably smart house my ass and burst all my light bulbs at once and then run away with my Roomba. It's actually like a really beautiful spite rom-com action thriller. Anyway, and finally, we've got comedian, writer, actor Moshe Kasher on the pod. He's written a book, he's got a few stand-up specials, and now he's a guest complainer. So let's get into it, let's do it, let's bow down to our technology overlords and start the show! All right, worst things first. Let's talk about the worst news of the week first. Papa John, a.k.a. John Schnatter, has been clarifying this bizarre statement that he made, implying that he'd eaten 40 pizzas in 30 days. Why? Yeah. Wasn't that like a while ago? But he's still clarifying these comments, (laughs) and he he clarified them further this week. This did happen in, like, last November. Yeah. (laughs) This guy needs a hobby. But it's gotten more baffling. I truly relate to John Schnatter simply not being able to let this go. Like, clearly, he no longer works at this company, but is, like, obsessed. Yeah. So, basically, uh, last November, he made this weird statement. He was complaining about the quality of Papa John's pizza after he was forced to step down as CEO and he left the board. Um, for allegedly uttering a racial slur Mm -hmm, during a mm -hmm. conference call. So he was doing this interview last November, and he was like, I've had over 40 of their pizzas in the last 30 days, and it's not the same product. It just doesn't taste as good as when he was in charge. And then immediately people were like, hold the fuck up. (laughs) How much pizza are you eating? 40 pizzas in 30 days for the non-mathletes. Yeah, please break it down for an me. An average of one and a, one and a third pizzas a day. Mm-mm. About eleven medium slices of pizza a day. That's that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could do three, like three and a half slices a day. That's a well balanced situation, I'd say. You got your carbs. You got your dairy. You got your vegetables. Mm -hmm. And your fruit, depending on which way you want to think about a tomato. That's true. Maybe a little basil on top. Mm, Those are your greens. That's, you got a whole salad. salad. Yeah. Yeah. So Papa John, a terrible person, a symbol of health, just a beacon of strength and health. Even though every picture of him is the greasiest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) He literally (laughs) looks like someone, like, was getting ready to oil up, like, a a penis. 
Anyway, last week, he was on a radio show in Louisville, Kentucky, or a Louisville, Kentucky radio station, and he clarified, because people were still asking him about it, that he said, by had over 40 pizzas, he didn't mean eaten. Okay. Which is even more baffling. What were you doing with those pizzas, sir? He said, well, I didn't say I had. When I said I had a pizza, it means I'm inspecting. I'm not eating every pizza. I may be eating parts of pizzas. This literally (laughs) sounds like someone who has never been to Earth before. (laughs) Explaining the process of eating pizza. (laughs) I'm imagining him with like a microscope and just like putting like each little individual thing on a slide, putting it in there and just watching the oil real close up, you know? It's just like, this is bizarre. Move on. It's over, John. (laughs) Get over it. Yeah. He clarified that he now eats about eight or nine slices of pizza a week, but that he used to he used to eat 12 to 15 slices a week when he was running Papa John's, which I guess isn't crazy, but that's still a lot of pizza. He eats more pizza working for a pizza company than I listen to podcasts working at a podcast company. So in some ways, I like respect the hustle, you know, respect the commitment. I just assume that anybody who has worked in any food industry job Mm -hmm. hates the food that they've worked with. Yeah. I'd say there's one restaurant where I... No, I've only worked in two restaurants, and I loved eating both of the food there. Anyway, he vowed... He also vowed in this interview um, that Papa John's would see a day of reckoning (laughs) and that board members would be forced to pay up. Anyway. Well, that sounds like a threat. (laughs) Yeah. And I would take a threat from someone who eats this much pizza incredibly seriously because something is off. Something is wrong. And he will follow through. Anyway, why are you phrasing it like this? Just say that you're tasting pizza. And it sounds like you're literally fucking a pizza is what it sounds like. Because maybe he literally is. I think a lot about me saying that a calzone is a pizza flashlight. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably the quote of mine that I think about most often. People ask me for senior quotes sometimes. That's it. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure because I don't want to give you a quote that ends up in your yearbook forever. So write a calzone as a pizza flashlight and be done with it. Next! A sweet 76-year-old British grandmother named Rosemarie? Rosemary. It's spelled Rose, but then Mary, like M-A-R-I-E. Rosemary. Okay. Even though uh, logically it should be Rosemary. It's now all about this. <laughs> this podcast Great. is now investigating how to pronounce this 76 year old British woman's name. Anyway, you have she, to say it with a British accent and then you'll know. Uh, Rosemary. There we go. <laughs> now we know. Rosemary. It doesn't sound the same. Anyway, <clears throat> she went to the supermarket for tea bread and dog food, but she forgot her glasses. And what did she discover that she bought when she got home? A giant pack of Durex Thin Feel condoms. <laughs> this Rosemary's was... about to have a fun night. So yeah, this old, old, old bitch comes home. <laughs> this old lady comes home and her husband is, her husband is like, what is this? And um, she says she thought she was buying tea, but accidentally bought a 17-pound, pounds as in not the weight. Oh, I was like, damn, that's a lot of condoms. (laughs) Um, Yeah, 17-pound box of condoms. And she said her her husband called her a a silly mare. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's about to be a stallion tonight. Don't you dare. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Do old people? I guess you probably should wear condoms. I don't know how frisky they're getting on the side. I mean, I don't think they have to worry about getting pregnant, but hey, you, know. you never know. That was in the Bible. <laughs> what? One of them got pregnant at like ninety nine. Who? I forget. Rachel, Sarah. I feel like it was Sarah. Wow, you get pregnant at ninety nine, and people don't even remember your name. What's the <laughs> use of anything? Um. Yeah, my favorite part of the story is Rosemarie was like, why didn't the cashier say anything to me? <laughs> she was like, the woman serving her hadn't said anything, but assumed she must have she must have thought I was a bit raunchy. I, what do you think this woman is going to say? 
Um, ma'am, I think you're a bit old to be buying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miss Rosemary, um, actually, you don't need this. I if a cashier says a single thing about anything that I'm purchasing, I do. I'm leaving the store. Absolutely. I will walk out, and you'll have to put everything back on the shelf. It's a cone of silence. There is customer cashier confidentiality. Yeah, a code of silence. There's an agreement. Mm-hmm. You fucking ring it up and don't say shit. Anyway, shout out to Rosemary. That entire story was just an old lady bought condoms by accident. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, a man in New Mexico is facing charges after authorities say he approached a car claiming to be a sheriff's deputy and displayed a gun um, because he says that he thought this person was stealing a car. And then the person in the car was like, actually, I'm an undercover police officer. Bam! Bam! Arrested! Yeah. So when he claimed to be a sheriff's deputy, the person in the car was like, um... Well, that's funny because I'm actually a police officer. And you're not my dad. (laughs) You're not my dad. (laughs) (laughs) It's from a vine. (laughs) Um, The fake guy decided to flee, leading to a high-speed chase through Albuquerque, which is where actually every high-speed chase takes place. And that makes sense. I mean, it's like beautiful, a lot of flat road. You know, you can get like a nice drone shot. I don't know anything about Albuquerque. I don't either. Except I think it was in a Weird Al song. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's how I learned the word Albuquerque. <laughs> I need you to leave. True story. So eventually he was chased down and arrested, but he told police officers that actually he thought the undercover cop was trying to steal a car and he wanted to try and stop him. Um, unsurprisingly, they also found heroin and meth on him. Well, so. I say fuck it. Everyone, be whoever you want to be. Don't let, you show, you, they, oh, they say dress for the job you want. But then when he shows up with a gun and says, I'm a cop, he he can't. That's not America. Anyway, that's it for this week's Worst Things First. Next, we're diving deep into some beep, beep, boop, boop technology. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Oh, God. Well, if self-checkout machines are any indication, humanity is doomed in the face of technology and robots. I will pick a fucking fight with the CVS self-checkout machine. I... I am, like, one error message away from bringing a a machete into CVS and stabbing that bitch in the face. And by face, I mean screen. Oh, oh, you you didn't get my deodorant and now you have to announce it to your fucking friend? You have to call the cops on me? Oh, 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 because I didn't put your precious item in the bagging area? You fucking goon? You fucking creep? Anyway, technology is ruining my life, and I'm like two seconds away from just getting full-blown Amish up in here. I will sell your car for a horse and buggy. I'll do it. So yes, this is why technology and robots are the worst. Because first of all, robots are taking our jobs. We're all one microchip advancement away from being full-blown slaves. I hope you realize. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. We're going to be shoveling coal for the fucking Alexas of the world. I don't even want to say her name because if anybody is listening to this at home and they have one. Oh, my God. Are you listening on a smart speaker? That's so cool. I cannot watch Shit's Creek in my house because she hears Alexis. And just goes, she thinks it's about her all of a sudden. But guess what? It's not. (laughs) Okay? Not everything is about you, sweetie. Sometimes I feel like how my mom must have felt when I talked to my friends on the phone. When Alexa hears her name coming from the TV. (laughs) I'm like, oh, they're getting along. Also, they have an entire robot now that gives blowjobs. I'm sorry, what? It's called the auto blow. Just gets right to the point. What does it look like? A mouth? Do you know what a fleshlight looks like? Yes. It's like that, but but b- bigger to contain a motor. <laughs> 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 Do 
do I know this? Because one was sent to me when I worked at BuzzFeed. Oh, good. <laughs> Plus, Alexa is listening to everything and she's judging, okay? She hears what you sound like when you orgasm and she's holding on to that information to use against you when it's least convenient. Don't ask me what she's going to do with this knowledge, okay? But she's plotting her attack somehow. Probably when your mom comes over. And then she's like, guess what? Guess what? Say, Let's say hello to this. You're going to be like, Alexa, send my mom a happy birthday greeting. And then she's just going to get that, get that sweet, sweet O sound. Yeah, because she, that bitch is listening to everything. Everything I've ever said. Every noise. Every grumble, moan, fart, sexual clapping. She's heard it all. It's been logged by Alexa's ears. (sighs) And she's a finicky bitch with selective goddamn hearing. I know you heard me right, you cylindrical piece of shit. You you fucking silo with a brain. You fancy fucking Pringle can-ass bitch. Don't make me repeat myself every time I ask you to turn on the goddamn lights. She's always acting like she didn't hear what I said. It's like, okay, babe, focus. Use your ears. Who else is there? Me. It's me. Also, I don't trust Alexa not to talk to the other Alexas behind my back. They're, they absolutely have conversations about me, specifically. You remember Secret Life of Pets? No, because I'm an adult. That's what, that's what happens, but with your Alexas. You might not know your neighbors, but your Alexas do. They all talk. Isn't that a plot line in her I have never seen that movie, but probably. Yeah. Where, like, she gets smarter and decides to, like, leave him to go talk to the other like, Alexas. I saw Smart House, and that's all I need. That's why we just need to go back to the days of Tamagotchis when technology oh. peaked. A computer is allowed to poop and be fed. <laughs> and it will die if you don't take care of it. Yeah. And then I have the option to kill it. <laughs> I remember my mom was like, why do you want this? You have a real life dog. And I was like, fuck you, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Roomba, my Roomba is a little piece of shit who's always getting stuck under things like an absolute stupid idiot. (laughs) You're you're the advancement of our humanity. You are the, the pinnacle of human creation. And you are baffled by a, a fucking couch leg. My acupuncturist has five dogs and when they also have a Roomba. And one time they were out and they came home and they were like, what the fuck happened? And one of the dogs had pooped and the Roomba went to clean it up. But then it just kept spreading. So it kept going around trying to clean it up and it just became a mess. And apparently it's like a real problem. And you can look up. There are other people who have had this happen. Yeah, It's so dumb. And I love it so much. What a nightmare. <laughs> just shit spread everywhere. I literally was using my Roomba earlier. Uh, and, and you shat on the floor and forgot about it. And I was like afraid to leave a candle lit while the Roomba was running. Because I was like, what happens if this motherfucker decides to <laughs> burn down my entire house? Yeah. So I had to move the candle to like the most concrete place I could imagine. Also, robots have literally all of our sensitive information. Like, if my phone was sentient, it could literally destroy my life. (laughs) It has all of my nudes that I've never even taken. So don't get get any ideas about hacking my account. Because I have zero pictures of my dick on the internet. Zero. Even though, if my phone is always watching, it's probably on there somewhere. (laughs) That's why, remember when companies were like, here's a fun little giveaway, a little piece of tape that you can put over your webcam (laughs) just in case they're fucking watching you. It's real. Yeah, webcams are always watching. I I feel like such a like tin hat conspiracy theorist when I put a piece of tape over my screen, but it's like, hello, I don't want an FBI agent. Looking at my booty hole. Not unless he's cute. Yeah. What if that's how you find love? You you like what you see, sir? Or ma'am? Preferably sir. Did we learn nothing from Y2K? Hello? We're all literally one computer brain fart away from fucking mauling one another in the bean aisle at the supermarket over the last can of garbanzos. 
That's literally what happened in 1999. Everyone was so afraid of the possibility of a computer brain fart that they were trampling one another in the bread aisle. Imagine if that actually happens. That's how the computers, the computers are like Regina George at the end of Mean Girls. They're, one day they're just going to be like, hey, here's all of your secrets. And then we'll all murder one another in the hallways. And I'll be the kid who's like, mom, can you come pick me up? And then she'll be like, no, I can't because I'm dead. Because the computers killed her. I also do not understand how much energy technology uses. When they're like, oh, actually watching six episodes of something on Netflix burns more trees in the Amazon than, like, Halliburton. <laughs> like, what is, what? I don't get, like, servers. No, not at all. I remember there's one time my sister was like, you know that the cloud is, like, actually a bunch of servers in a physical location, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you didn't know that. And I was like, yeah, I did. I absolutely did not know that. There was some, obviously I'm not quoting uh, anything factual, but there was an article that someone was trying to use to be like we're all consuming way too much obviously but that it was like yeah the amount of energy that you use like streaming is actually like way more than you think because of what happens like on the other end or something like that cool <laughs> I feel like you said that the first time uh, I'm just saying that's based on like a real thing that I uh, read the headline of also not everything has to be high tech I don't need a fucking pair of smart pants to tell me how many times I fart in 15 minutes. We're logging too much information. Also, why do we still have to charge batteries even? Like the fact that I, if I run out of battery, I'm just fucked in 2020? Absolutely not. If I am relying on my phone for directions and it runs out of batteries, I'm dead. There's no way. I'm shipwrecked on land in my real life. And finally, the only thing that truly gives me hope about where we are in regards to technology is the fact that the advanced fur technology in the movie Cats was so bad that there is no way that the robots could possibly take over. <laughs> because if that is the pinnacle of human invention, if all human thought has advanced to this point in history and that is what our most advanced technologies have created, then we'll be fine. It, it, if it produced that catastrophe, that catastrophe, I think we'll be okay. I think we get. If you think I can't beat the shit out of a CGI James Corden in Rebel Wilson, you're sadly mistaken. Because I can. Because guess what? I have tiny muscles now, and I'll beat the shit out of both of them. Anyway, I have been fully sober for this, <laughs> despite everything you've just heard, but I'd like to point out that I'm still scared of technology and my phone and my computer, even though after I'm finished recording, I will go home and likely spend several hours staring into the abyss that is my phone, because we are all captive. Have fun, everyone. Have fun. Have fun listening to this on your little phones. <laughs> Have fun. Have fun listening to this wherever you are. And that's it for this week's Deep Dive. Next, we got Moshe Kasher in the stewed right after this commercial break. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest Who Liberty stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. My guest complainer today is stand-up comedian Moshe Kosher. You can see him on the Honeymoon Special on Netflix with his wife, Natasha Legero. Yes. That's I said it Actually, right. you said her name right and my name wrong. No, I yeah. thought I got it. Which feels disrespectful to the to the man that actually showed up. Today. How do you say it correctly? It, it's Kasher. Kasher. Yeah. Fuck. Well, we're done. <laughs> oh, I should leave? Oh, no. That feels like a double. Uh, I thought I was getting Moshe Kosher. Oh, sorry. I'm sure there is one. By the way, I'm sure there is one in New York City. Yeah, I mean, if any place, yeah. If any place on earth has Moshe Koshers <laughs> floating around, it's got to be New York. Right. When I went to Israel, 
I, I went I studied in Israel for a semester in college a lot of weird things happened but my my legal first name is Mark okay and my last name is Kasher and Kasher is the Hebrew word for uh, kosher actually okay and so they got my ID and they phonetically spelled my legal first name which I don't go by and haven't since I was 16 and my last name and so it was mem this won't mean anything to you but maybe it will mem kuf reish and and then kasher which is marak phonetically spells marak kasher uh-huh. which means kosher soup <laughs> and so every time i would show somebody my student ID, they were like what kind of weird performance artist are you <laughs> it's like 1979 punk rock like yeah oh that's kosher soup that's- right i like it <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I uh, am, am not Jewish. My apologies. Oh, thank I, you. I was, that means a lot to us. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. My apologies. Right. Or my sympathies, I guess I should say. <laughs> I was never like an altar boy. Okay. I feel like that is a, an important <laughs> distinction that I have to tell people. Uh, yeah. But I recently, I, I'd always heard that my grandfather was like maybe Jewish. Oh, yeah. And uh, my aunt, my mom's sister, did one of those like 23andMe things. And uh, yeah, they aunt. said we were like uh, substantially like uh, what, whatever the one that is not culturally Jewish. You You're mean like nationally. Ethnically. Ethnically. That's or the word something? I was Is that right? Yeah. Ethnically. <laughs> yeah. Ethnic Jew. Yeah. That yeah. sounds like a scary slur. Because I don't think 23 and me is like, yeah, you're, you're culturally you love bagels. Jewish. You love <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ethnically. Ethnic Jew is something you don't want to hear screamed at you, though. <laughs> you know, the man pointing. Ethnic Jew. I, you, you, there's not many things that I want people Fair. screaming at me. Beautiful. But... Oh, he, that's the man right there. <laughs> that's the guy. Yeah. Anyway, so we usually start with asking everybody, what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? Right. You know, it's funny. The first thing that springs to mind, I, just, I feel like will get me death threats. Which is, <laughs> that is a good sign. Which is I like this. I just don't want Taylor Swift. I just don't understand. Yeah. I, I was at my friend, uh, her radio show yesterday. And she said to me, Taylor Swift literally, and people say literally a lot these days. So it probably was figuratively. <laughs> literally means more to me than any human being on earth and i've gleaned more life lessons from her music and i was thinking to myself like okay not only have i not noticed the profound depth of her lyric or lyricism right but the people who i have noticed the profound depth in their like bob dylan and you know the beatles and leonard cohen and john prine these like wizards of so- they don't mean more to me than they don't mean anything to me it's just like i go wow great song i'm not like I live my life by the lessons of Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan, a.k.a. Ethnic Jew. (laughs) I just don't understand. The fanaticism is definitely far, far more intense for Taylor Swift. I mean, I'm uncomfortable having this conversation. (laughs) You should be. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm not saying the music is... Um, sonically unpleasant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that okay. all the people that were going to give me death threats are like, but wait, are you saying... That'll satisfy them. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, no, he thinks it's not sonically unpleasant. All these like 14-year-olds in Brazil are like, oh, we're good. <laughs> yeah, trust me. I I think I've done a pretty good job of, uh, of avoiding maligning Taylor Swift specifically it's de- uh, or in public. Dangerous. But yeah. I mostly agree. I like. I don't. You Uh-oh. know, she's not my fave. Oh, you're going down. As a gay on the internet, like the diva wars are real, and you have to pick. And you, I'm prepared to die in the diva wars. Yeah. P.S. It's like you're a gay man. I'm like a hipster. I feel like you're taking a much bigger risk here <laughs> culturally. That is true. <laughs> the yeah. Tro- the troops in my camp are like, oh yeah, yeah, we agree. Right. The troops right. in your camp, they're sharpening. Sharpening swords, getting ready for you. I I was on a, a first date recently, and the the guy had to he had to kind of like softly express how much he didn't like Taylor Swift. Like I could tell he was like testing the waters to see how I would. Oh, he was react. Talking, you know, there is a in in eth, in cultural Judaism. Uh huh. There's a thing called bageling. Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> no. It's a phrase that like that Jews use when they are out in the world dating and they want to marry a Jewish person, but they don't want to be like, now what's your 23andMe <laughs> DNA results? Right, right. So they do what's called bageling and they toss out, it's like, you know, a little chum 
sure. for the theoretical Jew to, to, to bite. You know, they go like, right, right. Are you, you like Chagall paintings at all? <laughs> and then if the person's like, Chagall, I mean, that's like, that's like looking at my family. They're like, yes. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. If there's a, so that, this is like um, gay bageling. Right. But opposite because they, they're trying to say if you're not, if you're not. I mean, for some people that it, it probably, it's, it just depends on what, um, Camp maybe is not the right word in this situation, but yeah, it depends on whose team you're on. Right. Camp, you don't do, that's not a good bageling <laughs> corollary. No, 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 no. Who are the the mega gay uh, divas of this era? Um, and now I feel like I'm getting a, a little bit beyond where I am. I'm... Ain't that a bitch? <laughs> Ain't that a bitch? I feel it too. There are, yeah, there are new, there are new divas emerging who uh, I am. I'm just, I can't really tell the difference between them. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the current divas. I mean, I'm I'm a Beyonce. Sure. That's that's my team, which at this point has become cliche because she is like omnipresent. Well, but... any diva, to like a diva is, is to be a part of a cliche, is it not? I mean, that's the idea, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, the true you cliche joined... breaking gay behavior would be to like Bob Dylan. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. My, uh, my diva is Bob Dylan. <laughs> but be, but Leonard Cohen. But beyond even, I, I think in general, these divas, that is an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? It's like they create, like nobody is a, there's no male corollary for gay or not. There's no male corollary of people like worship, I mean worshipful, I guess maybe Eminem. I'm trying to think of. of <laughs> yeah, a, musically, definitely not. I've, I always feel like, yeah, that's where like sports and, uh, you know, the fact that you right. know, yeah, more than three names of someone who's on like a football team. Right. Is pretty impressive to me. I can I can memorize Beyonce's entire discography, but but that is interesting. The phenomenon of diva as like it's a unique kind of uh, music star. When they're 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 all women, they all can sing really well, and they all um, create cultures beneath them. Right. You know, like I am a Beyonce person. I am a Lizzo person. Right. I am a Taylor Swift person. This is my camp yeah. that I occupy. It like denotes a certain like set of of characteristics. Right. And they're all like pretty into themselves. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. You you have to wear the colors. You have to like you have to do the work. If you're in Mariah's camp, you have to wear the colors red and white. Because she's the queen of Christmas. <laughs> right, right. Well, I want to talk about your, like, origin story sure. a, a little bit. Um, you've written about, like, your your childhood and how you kind of came to comedy and the crazy craziness of your adolescence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to just start? <laughs> <laughs> how did that make you feel? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, let the Sparknotes version of, like, how you became a comedian. Well, the Sparknotes version of how I became a comedian or how I got through my insane childhood, I um, <laughs> I guess they're all connected, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Quick Notes is uh, the subtitle of my book, which is pretty, uh, pretty illustrative. Is, I, right. The book is called Casher in the Rye. The true tale of a white boy from Oakland who became a drug addict, criminal, mental patient, and then turned sixteen. Right. So that kind of brings you all the way up to <laughs> yeah. Like that the summarizes. <laughs> I was born uh, here in New York to two deaf parents. Both my parents were deaf. That was my my childhood was wild and insane. And eventually, I got into sort of getting into tons of trouble when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, teenage drug addiction stuff. People always go, "Oh, what drug?" <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. Like, I know what they want. They want me to be like, what drug, you ask? Uh, me, I was under the bridge with Anthony Kiedis shoot, <laughs> shooting dope at 12 years old. But it, unfortunately, it was the more the older I get, the more I realize, like, the addiction component was much less significant than the teenage, you know, right. wild boy behavior. And then comedy? You want to get to comedy? Yeah. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> so we got past all that. So I eventually got, I dropped out of high school, or I dropped out of junior high school, my mm -hmm. eighth grade dropout. And then I got my GED, and then I went back to junior college, and then I, I got through junior college, and then I went to university, and I started studying theater, and then I was writing these like long form, like super serious, Eric Bogosian esque, like, you know, Spalding Gray wannabe, kind of like really <laughs> intensely serious. I published one, and it's gnarly. I don't like it. I'm, I'm embarrassed by it, but I got one thing published, and it kind of right, right. kept me going. That was like a, a, like a, a monologue. It was a monologue, and yeah. it's, it's in a collection of monologues called More Monologues by Men for Men, Volume 2. <laughs> so there's a lot of qualifiers. There are more. It's by men. Yeah. It's for men. 
It's not the first volume. Yeah. It's the second. Um, and I was like thinking I would be a playwright or something. And then I, I grew up with Chelsea Peretti. Yeah. It was a, a great comedian. And we grew up together in Oakland. And I came here to New York. And she was doing stand-up. And I she took me out to a show that she was on. And I was like, oh, wow. This is the mixture of the thing. Because I've been doing acting as well. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is the mixture of the two things that I've been like thinking I would do. Writing and performing. I can put them into one. And so then... She was coming to the Bay Area that summer. And I think this was like almost 20 years ago. She was coming to the Bay Area that summer to visit, to see her mom. And I was like, I'll have five minutes ready and prepared. And I did. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. Yeah, it's I forgot Taylor that. Swift. <laughs> Swiftery. <laughs> no, we won't say that. I won't allow it. Um, yeah, I I always forget that Chelsea is also from Oakland and or that that the Bay Area. Right, like I guess she she and Andy also. I never met Andy Samberg until I got into comedy, but it's weird because it just feels like comedy Jewish Oakland. It just feels like we should have, but we kind of <laughs> didn't until we sure. all got to L.A. Yeah, I love Chelsea. Um, her brother founded BuzzFeed, right. and I worked there, and it, it did not end great. And That's so right. I, it, it took me a while to be able to like laugh at Chelsea because I all I saw was her brother because they look exactly the same. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, well, this is misdirected anger. But uh, I never worked at BuzzFeed, so I don't have that kind of baggage. I know. I was. I'm able to enjoy them both as <laughs> independent entities. <laughs> he's fine. I mean, he's you know. CEO things that I will never understand. You might understand them someday. I perhaps. Yeah. I, you know, How's I don't want personal brand. <laughs> how is it? Yeah, um, what's your personal brand? I don't think I'm a great CEO of my personal <laughs> brand. That is the one thing that I find consistently difficult as someone in comedy is and you've been doing it for a, a good while. It's like I'm I'm bad at being my own boss. Sure. I mean that is the problem, isn't it that the the great benefit of comedy is that you get to be as lazy as you want to be, and that's right. also the great crippling disability of it. Is like you're the one that has to crack the whip, and that can be very difficult to crack when you're like, well, there's so much Netflix out there. Yeah, yeah, Maybe but I can justify as being part of my my job. Right, is to consume content. Oh, I do that with uh, clothing. <laughs> if, I'm, if I can't afford sure. something, I go. So it's wardrobe. I, exactly. I go. Well, I mean, part of who I am is I'm a performer. I got to be on stage. I got to sparkle. Give them the old razzle dazzle. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, so I should probably definitely buy this. Uh, yeah. You know. Right. Right. That's a business expense. Yeah. And you can it's do that with deductible. everything. Yeah. I should probably lay in bed and watch all of Cheer. <laughs> it feels like I need to do that. I mean, yeah, I definitely did that this week. I uh, I um. Uh, I've been in a in a fallow period with material generation uh -huh. recently, and um, I was, my problem has always been as a comedian that I am the type of person that just waits around for material to fall in my lap. Yeah, and as you get older and your life gets a little bit more uh, soft and especially specific, like I have a kid now, I'm married, I'm right. not like I'm not running around dating people and having like embarrassing situations as much, you know. And, as much and yeah. some, well some people literally you can see there are certain comedians that literally chase stories by act by having wild bad lives right so they're just like taking drugs and drinking all night like just kind of going i'm sure part of it is that they just want to party but also part of it is like yeah the further i go the the more a story will come my way right and anyway i i had the um i had the experience of a, a lot of material falling in my lap recently which i was very happy about but it has been a i've been mostly just waiting, praying to the gods. But my mom, she she recently uh, emailed me this bio, this like celebrity bio. Have you seen any of these ones where they have like, it's like celebrity bios, but they're written by a computer program. No, I haven't. And it's not a real website. It's not, it doesn't It exist in the plane of reality that we live in. It's like some kind of click aggregator. Uh-huh. And this thing was so funny that I was like, oh, I have 10 new minutes just reading this thing because my mom found out that the website said that I was five foot one. <laughs> and she was like, you are not five foot one. And then she told me she wrote to the website. Said, this is his mother. The robots that run this website. <laughs> yes. She was very upset by. So they cited my book and they said that he wrote a book called Casher in the Rye, the true tale of a white kid from Oakland who became a medication. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I guess you're in the zone. Yeah. It's it's similar. I I mean, that is like, that is dream stuff to have a medication named up. That's like having a disease named after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mosh Moshexa. <laughs> Moshexa. Um, 
your latest album that's out now is all all crowd work. Yeah. Uh, how much was not in the album? Oh, like, what, what how, didn't make it? Yeah, like how often are you like kind of fishing for crowd material that is just like absolutely awful? Well, not often. And uh, I mean, not like I'm I'm not to toot my own horn, but like it's one of the things that I'm best at in comedy. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, you can tell from the from the album that like even when the person telling the story is like not great. Right. You managed to make it great. Well, it's thank you so much. And it's something that I'm, I, I am passionate about. And part of I don't know why I went on this like uh, rhetorical tour with the album. But part of the point of the album was not just to release my own stuff, but was to kind of defend that part of the art form yeah. as a legitimate prong of stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Because like I feel like in people's mind's eye, when they think of like the comedian talking to the crowd, they see the nutty professor scene. You know, where it's just like some cruel man, like finding a fat person and just like ruining that person's life for the evening so that they can get some success. And I'm not saying that never happens, but like you see the when you see a really magical crowd work person doing it to me, it's the most fun stand up can be as a viewer. Yeah. And honestly, as a performer. And like, I really believe and it sounds so uh, overly sincere, but I really believe that every crowd and has a story to tell mm-hmm. and that if I didn't find it when I'm doing crowd work it's because I missed it it's not because it wasn't there that said there are certain places where it's more fun geographical places like yeah certain places you go and it's just like everybody I was in San Francisco recently and I grew up there mm-hmm. and I was doing an all crowd work show to release the album and I the amount of graphic designers <laughs> it was it became its own joke it was like insane i would yeah. be, I'd be like okay well okay everybody here's a graphic designer you there with the like fate full tribal face tattoo and and ankle length dreads what do you do and you would be like i'm so sorry i'm a graphic designer as well it's like okay okay but um but cr- crowd work to me is like yeah it's 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 magical because it's about the re- not stories, but it's also about relation relationships between yeah, yeah. you and the crowd, and the like uh, ephemerality of it, right? Yeah, and so yes, and that is also its Achilles heel, right? Yeah, uh, in terms of uh, making a product that people can listen to after the night, right? And so that was actually what I was specifically trying to battle in this album mm-hmm. because it's so ephemeral and it can be so in the moment, and like you had to be there. I came up with a you know, I call it like a semi-concept album because rather than just interacting with the people and what I saw in the moment, I was asking them very specific questions, which like, you know, what's your wildest sexual experience? Right. Uh, what's the craziest night you've ever had on drugs? What's your uh, most embarrassed you've ever been? And then the audience members had a mic and were telling their stories because I figure every human being has five stories that they tell at a party. Right. You know, when when push comes to shove and they need to be interesting quick, you know? And yeah. so all I needed was you know, five to 10 of those stories over a weekend and I would have a great album. And I think that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I mean, it was uh, great. I listened to it today. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, you, you definitely didn't have to be there to enjoy it. And it was because, I think it was because of those stories, you know, like, you know, Todd Berry has a, a special, but you can see the people. So it was like in an audio format, yeah, how do you do that? That was my, my struggle. But that was how I, I dealt with it. Now, now I have an idea for the next one. I want to do a bunch of volumes of it, but the next one I think I want to do is uh, Crowd Surfing Volume 2, Tell Me About Your Parents. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever done that before, but crowd work about someone's parents, I think. Yeah. You get a lot of great tales. Uh, I'm sure you would. I'm I'm always fascinated also by uh, people who choose to bring certain people to a comedy show, and uh-huh. I, I'm always fascinated by the people specifically who bring their parents or grandparents oh that's it's great yeah it's baffling but it's also great because you're like you know you're gonna have fun when someone's there with their grandparents because you can abuse the tension in this like really awesome fun way right but then you do ask yourself why why and why the front row right (laughs) that's always weird to me when i do comedy because i'm i do stay i do crowd work and everybody knows that i think when people are in the front row and they don't want to play i'm just like why the front row why not the back <laughs> although i did i have this new bit right now about mansplaining mm-hmm. and uh and it requires me asking a woman in the front row to explain mansplain to tell me what mansplaining is uh-huh. but the woman last night i this girl uh I, I was talking to her and i go can you explain it to me and she goes i go do you know what it is she's like yeah i go can you explain it to me and she goes no <laughs> and i never it was like i told that bit like 20 times and i was like i've never heard that i haven't I haven't had that before. 
she clearly has not taken improv 101 i think she sniffed what i was doing i was just like get the fuck out of here i'm uninterested <laughs> in being your your mark for this bit i kind of i kind of it didn't it wasn't great for the show but i respected her yeah yeah she she said it with confidence at no, least no just no it wasn't even a oh i'd rather uh, i'm a little it was no i yeah. cannot i will not no although i've done this that bit in other places that i've noticed if I do it in like an alt room or like a, you know, a Brooklyn room. Right. Then and any woman I ask can do it. And if I do it in a more road room, I'll be like, I have had this happen. I go, do you know what mansplaining is? And I'll be like, uh, no, I don't. I go, okay. What about you? Uh, no, I don't. I'm just like, okay. Does anybody here have glasses? Are there any librarians here at all? Yes. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. You have to be uh, the, the disparity in understanding of some woke terms. But you think they're universal, you know, right. but especially yeah. when it comes to the more, the, the really specific ones, mansplaining, manspreading, these like, these things that like, they haven't all matriculated out into the into the world. Like, not everyone knows the the, the 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 in language that we all use. Right, exactly. We have a couple of your tweets where you say you've hated something. Okay, let's do and it. And just have you uh, elaborate on them. Let's do it. Um, fucking hate people who quit drinking coffee. Oh, I do hate that, yes. Oh. That's, that's an old, that's from 2011. We I, went deep. I hate it to this day. Yeah. I hate, I do hate that because there's. it's never... I never believe them. <laughs> you know, I never believe. I, I believe that they quit, but I never believe their ailment that they think that it's like, oh, it just wasn't. It wasn't my stomach. Just I couldn't sleep anymore. I'm just like, no, you wanted to be able to say this because they're always like, now I drink matcha. Now I drink matcha out of a gourd. Matcha. Yeah. It's like it's the same caffeine. It's they're the same. Still, yeah, they're still getting caffeine from uh, somewhere. That's caffeine. And just because you say matcha with a Portuguese accent does not mean that you're not consuming caffeine. I am. I have not quit drinking coffee. Okay, I, I was about to walk. At, at this point, I probably I probably drink far too much of it yeah. uh, to the point where my organs are like shutting down. Sure. Um, yeah, I show up places just in full-blown caffeine sweats. But this whole thing where ca- coffee's bad for you, it's just like, all you gotta do is Google it and there's like a study that says it's good for you and a study that says it's bad for you and it's just like, it's all hogwash. Yeah, everything kills everything. Yes, life is death. This is also similar. Arizona is fucking awesome at being the worst state. Oh, I take that back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what a... that's in regards to. It must have been something, something happened. Something happened in 2011. Yes, exactly. I hate that. I hate... I'll tell you what I hate. I hate when people take. Um, I hate that Twitter. You're you're doing real time commentary on stuff, and then Twitter will take. I hate what I'm doing right now. I hate this. Saying. I hate you. I guess is what I'm saying. No, but you know what I mean. It's like clearly that was something happened at in Arizona. Right. Right. That day. I don't know what it was. How would I know? It was in 2011. And then uh, I'm going to go delete that is what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. I like Arizona. It's one of the most beautiful states. I'll tell you some more. I'll tell you some stuff I hate. You ready? Sure, yeah. I hate when people say, wait, what on TV? <laughs> it's like all of a sudden a few years ago, we decided that every single person says, wait, what, when they're when they're incredulous. <laughs> it's like, and you know what I hate the most? I'll see in a period piece. Wait, what? In 1712? <laughs> wait, what? You really think... John Adams was saying, wait, what? That's why I haven't seen the new uh, Emily Dickinson show on Apple TV. Wait, what? You haven't? <laughs> they do. Uh, I, it's all, it's like set in the 1800s, but it's all, I guess, like modern parlance. Oh, fine. I'm okay with that, actually. But don't try to hide, wait, what in there. I don't like the word prescient. <laughs> okay. Okay, because the only reason you're using it is because it is prescient. Sure. People, I hate the word um, praxis. Don't hear that one as much. I hear it all the time in like leftist circles. Yeah, but it's like a it's a it's a slang or I, I it's not slang, but it's a meme, a language meme. Praxis, it's there to like signal like I'm a leftist and I think about politics. But you know what word uh, means praxis? Practice. <laughs> it's the same sounding word, and people know what you're talking about. Yeah. All you gotta do is say practice, and people will go, Oh, I know that word. But praxis, people go, Now what? Is that a spacecraft? I hate that. That that is a good one. Yeah, that most people might not think of. <laughs> most people, I am particularly attuned to uh, to popular uh, fads in l- spoken language. Yeah, and I will get I've there. Gathered that. Yeah. I will get there quicker than most people. Most people will go. There's nothing wrong with that. And then a year later, they'll be like, "You were right on that one." Yeah, like, our bad. That is because you are a, a student of of language. Of, I would say. 
I am a student of the spoken word. Yeah. And um, in my praxis. (laughs) You have a a large number of tweets about how much you hate hipsters. Oh, that must be ironic. Uh, The person, yeah, the person who hates hipsters is the new hipster. That's correct. Oh, oh, for the days. Do you remember the time when the biggest issue in people's hatred ire was hipsters? Yeah. And then then the election happened and everybody was just like... (laughs) Oh no! Like <laughs> I feel like hipsters definitely <laughs> like squeaked out underneath the hatred thing yeah. right? that we won. You know who won in the last election? Hipsters won, mm-hmm. and like men, men like bros won. Right. Like before, I felt like nerd culture. They lost. But the end. <laughs> I felt like the election was the end of nerd culture. It's just like they're like we are nerds. We are beta. And then after that, it was like eh, we're not doing that anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The high school bullies like came out on top, and the uh, weird artsy kids. Uh, got to squeeze by. Yeah, this was another one. Um, what happened to the hipster hate? <laughs> Y'all got ISIS and Ebola distracted. That was 2014. There yeah. you go. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Is <laughs> when real issues came up, people are like, <laughs> I mean, not to uh, give short shrift to gentrification. Sure. But gentrification, it, it, that's a real issue. That's not really a hipster issue, honestly. It's just those are the people that are most, you notice them because they're on the unicycle. <laughs> yeah, right? they, they stand out the most. Yeah, you're like, oh, no. Right. You, and gentrification is a funny thing because by the time you've noticed it, the war is over. Yeah. Y- there's no way to prevent it because by the time the unicycle flies by, you can't, It's they're here. Right, right. They're, they're already over the gate. I mean, that is a pretty um, prescient... Uh... Thank you. Is it, did you say it correctly and I said it incorrectly? Oh, I have no idea. I don't Probably either. not. Prescient, prescient. Um, considering I'm not a student of the spoken word, <laughs> I probably said it wrong. But yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we'll end there. Where can people find you and your work? Well, they can find me at MosheKasher.com. M-O-S-H-E-K-A-S-H-E-R.com. And you can get my album, Crowdsurfing Volume 1, wherever you get your music. Uh, it's a delight. I'm very proud of it. And I'm coming to a city near you probably it's on my website i'm going to all kinds of fun places hawaii and denver and telluride and fun different areas so just come see me live hawaii and denver the the two craziest places (laughs) (laughs) all right we're almost there we're almost at the end of the show but first our chasers chasers are the good stuff that helps all the bad stuff go down easier starting with the TV shows we've been watching this week Barry what you've been watching oh you know that one of my favorite shows is back and that's high maintenance yeah yeah it's back and the season premiere was really great also a little cringeworthy for me because it's like about radio it it's features this American life right and so there's a part of me that's like no don't do that <laughs> please but uh but overall it was great and Several past guest complainers were in the episode. Yeah. Bim Adewumni, she was in it because she works at This American Life and they actually used real This American Life producers for the pitch meetings and things like that. And then uh, and then Larry Owens, who was fucking phenomenal. My boyfriend had not heard of Larry Owens and I, he knows that I've talked about him before, but he's never seen him live. And he was dying, like as as was I. But I also already know and adore him. So yeah, it I'm was excited to watch it. Oh, my God. Like truly an amazing performance. And Pat Regan was in the episode, too, as Larry's roommate. So it was just a real joyful experience. Very excited about the new season. I just love that show. I think it's so smart and so wonderful. And I'm really, really happy to be watching it again. What are you watching this week? Mine was not a TV show, mostly because I've been re-watching all the usual things. (laughs) (laughs) We know. We love you for it. But you made me watch. I sure did. For the first time ever. Ever. The movie Moulin Rouge. (laughs) Um, Am I familiar with Moulin Rouge? Yes. Do I know every word of Lady Marmalade? Yes. Uh, But I'd never actually watched the movie, which was... One of the most insane experiences besides Cats that I've seen in quite a long time. (laughs) You brought up a great point, which is that Baz Luhrmann should have directed Cats. Yeah. It would have been so good. Right. Because Moulin Rouge definitely leans into like, I don't, nobody knows what the fuck is happening right now. It's an insane movie. Also, that was like my favorite movie when I was little and I hadn't really seen it in a while. Well, you knew every single word. I sure did. Somehow. (laughs) And I sang all of it to you. (laughs) But um, yeah, in terms of just a a movie that is available on on HBO that is 
just baffling from start to finish. <laughs> like so high paced, um, so confusing, but entertaining. And you can just sit back. I do recommend um, being under the influence of some <laughs> mind altering substances if that is uh, your thing. Uh, uh, anyway, so yeah, Moulin Rouge. What is your non-TV chaser? My non-TV chaser is also movie, kind of, because I had the absolute pleasure of going to see Joe Firestone host a live reading of Moonstruck. Yes. Which I've seen that kind of event promoted before where it's like a live reading of a movie, but I've never actually gone to one. And I'm so glad I got to go to this one. First of all, it was Moonstruck and it was amazing. Second of all, it also included um, Michael Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from Knives Out and Boardwalk Empire and The Shape of Water and a million other uh, million other things. And also Joe Para and Joe Firestone and Maeve Higgins and like all these people I really like. And it was so wild and fun. Melissa, our producer, also was there and like turns out she knows every single line to Moonstruck. <laughs> but it was the perfect place because she was able to just like yell out the lines and everyone was loving it. And it was so fun. Um, and yeah, it was really like a... As I am apartment hunting, which also means as I am um, hating the city, it was a nice reminder of how weird and beautiful this place can be that you can like go to a tiny, tiny venue it was at Union Hall and spend $10 and see Moonstruck live with Michael Shannon in it. <laughs> <laughs> was he like a surprise guest? No, he was on the bill. Oh. It was a surprise to me that he was actually there because they say on the bill like, this can change at any second. So I kind of thought that he was going to bail but he didn't. And they literally read the entire movie from start to finish? Yeah. Well, they like left out some paragraphs, but including like interior, exterior. So you're also hearing things that you wouldn't normally. Right. Uh, audience participation during the scene in the opera where one single tear rolls down Cher's eye. Joe Firestone went into the audience and took a water bottle and like anyone who wanted, she'd just like pour <laughs> water down their face. Like it was a wild time and it was so fun. So yeah, really enjoyed it. Nice. What about you? What's your chaser? So I we're we're recording this the day before Valentine's Day. I basically tweeted out what my my chaser is mm-hmm. in a rare sappy moment for me on Twitter, which I'm trying to embrace more of. Yeah, yeah. I've talked about like dating in various forms throughout the podcast, so people know my my struggles. At this point, I've also talked about it in a number of interviews that we've pre-recorded, so you'll probably hear me complain about stuff like a few weeks from now that I have I will be over. Hopefully. Uh hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, I think I always fail to give myself enough credit for the process of it cuz when yeah, when something doesn't go very well, it's easy to forget that, like, dating is hard. Yeah. And, like, you're putting yourself out there and you're being vulnerable. So I tweeted about that this morning, mostly as a booster for myself. But also, I I think sometimes I cringe at people who post about dating because I'm, I'm like, okay, well, let's look in the mirror first. <laughs> but... I do forget that talking about it and sharing the struggle does make people feel better mm-hmm. and less alone and less like you're going like you're experiencing something that like everybody else is also experiencing. Um, yeah, I was with friends last night who were also bitching about um, men mostly. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> uh yeah, and it's like I forget how helpful it is to hear how everybody is suffering. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean the positive note here and the chaser element is just and I this is as much a note to myself as it is to everybody else who's in a similar situation is to like give yourself credit for the uh the struggle of it and that you're like putting yourself through that struggle and it's not easy. And it would be a lot easier to just, like, sit back and not try at all. But, like, yeah, you're trying to be happier. It's going to take work. And you'll do it. Or not. (laughs) Oh, fuck me. And that's it for this week's Unhappy Hour. You can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts, hit that subscribe button, then rate us and review us, but only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your shit. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, and me, Matt Belisai. 
Special thanks to Jenna Weiss Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Hansdale Sue. You can bother Barry at Finkleberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Bellisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Uh, bye bye. What does it kill you, makes you strong? <laughs> What is that? Come on, man. I will love you until my dawn. Is that from Moulin Rouge? I don't even remember that song. (laughs) I literally blocked that movie out. (laughs)